0: And I want you to know, of course, uh, last week we were supposed to meet here. We were supposed to uh, do all the things we just did. Worship, pray, and I was supposed to speak to you last week. And I'll be honest, I was a little nervous about that. I've been wrestling with this message, and last Saturday night I just wasn't convinced it was ready. So I was actually hoping (gasps) it would snow and we would get another week. So I had another week, and now I'm nothing but thrilled to share this message with you um, and and I'm, I'm excited about that. You know, we, we've uh, just entered into a new series called Identity, and we're looking into Paul's letter to the Ephesians to, to understand a little bit more what it means to have our identity in Christ. That's good news. That's nothing but good news. And so I'm excited to talk about that. And you know, other good news we've had recently, we've had this kind of a baby boom here at City Church. You notice, raise your hand if you've just had a baby. All right, well, I promise you, there has been a baby, but there's some of them over there. Yeah, give it up for the new parents and new babies. Yes. Man, that's a, uh, like, that's a thrilling time. I remember when, uh, see, we have five kids, and I I remember vividly every time we were pregnant. um, There were strange things that happened at our house. So there was, uh, there was nausea, which is great, Right. And then there were these, these uh, this really uncomfortable moments, some weird cravings that happened at our house, and just a lot of restless nights. And that was just for me. <laughs> Martha had some problems too. She was pregnant. Now, we, some of you ladies, are, were, even before I got through that, you were like, he was never pregnant. She was pregnant. But you know, it's funny to me how often um, or how amazing it can be when, when someone in the house gets pregnant and you start to, to get ready. And you know what else is just as common as the nausea and those, those restless nights? It's this hope that begins to grow. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. You start to think about what's, what's that baby? Is it going to be a boy? Is it going to be a girl? Uh, what's he or she going to look like? What can we do with the room? And I mean, especially for the first child, it's like the whole house is repurposed for this one child, right? Everything's baby-proofed and you know, Paul's kind of like that as he writes this letter to the Ephesians. And I want to lay that out for you. When Paul writes to the Ephesians, he's in a prison cell. But he can't help himself. He's so full of hope for the people he's left in Ephesus that he has to write to them. So he begins to write this message. And we're going to jump into Ephesians chapter 1 today and begin to wrestle with with These words. So turn to Ephesians 1, if you can. There's going to be uh, some scripture up here behind me, but I'm going to get you ready to read this. You see, as Paul starts writing to the Ephesians, he starts to to really hammer home two things, the very beginning of chapter 1. First, that if you are in Christ, you are blessed and you are chosen. I'll repeat that. If you are in Christ, you are both blessed and you are chosen. Now, Paul talks about predestination and all this kind of stuff, and it's easy to get, to get into the, the first part of Ephesians and turn it into a debate. Well, what does that really mean? And to, well, tell me, what the, well, does it mean this? Does it mean this? And if you're, if you're caught up in a, in, a, in a debate like that, that's fine, and it's fun to wonder at how God does what he does, but don't miss this. You are blessed, and you are chosen, and that's what Paul wants the Ephesians to know more than anything. And then Paul, is like he's a part of a musical or something. How many people are fans of musicals in the room? All right, yeah, I, I'll admit, I like a good musical, like Newsies or something like that. You guys know Newsies, the Disney one? Oh, it's awesome. And men can like that one. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, it's another really good one I like. Okay, that's enough of that. But, but musicals are, are interesting because you never know when somebody's just going to burst into song. And the letter to the Ephesians is like that because Paul's writing, and then he's right and then he just can't help himself. He just burst into a prayer. And these prayers are deep and they're powerful. And so we're going to jump into the first one. In Ephesians chapter one, starting in verse 15, this is what Paul says. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Jesus, Paul is, is, is inspiring the people in Ephesus to think again about their relationship here. And he continues in verse 17, or verse, the rest of verse 16. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Let's keep going. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those who believe. Sit with those words for a minute. Think about what Paul's doing I mean, he is so full of this expectant and, and resilient hope that even though he's sitting in a prison cell, he's still hopeful for his friends in Ephesus who have new life in Christ. I totally get that. You know, when, for all of our children, before they were born, e- even before they were born, there was this hope in us about them and for them. And I'm, I'll admit, I'm, I'm quirky, okay? I, I'm not a normal person, and for me, even from the time I was little, this music has always been up inside of me, and it just kind of has to come out, kind of like Paul, it just, it has to. And uh, so as, as we learned, we were expecting with Reese, our oldest son, we were, um, you know, thinking about that, praying about that, and I thought, you know, I want this to be really special for him, we want to start praying for him. And so I started looking for words I could pray, and I actually went to the letter of Ephesians and grabbed hold of this prayer that Paul prays in chapter three. And I was like, this is what I'm gonna pray for him. But after a while, just praying it didn't feel like enough. And I was like, you know, I'd rather sing this. I'm a singer guy, so I'm just, I'm gonna sing. And so we took the words from Paul in chapter three and hit this prayer, and we turned it into a song. A song we could sing to him even before he was born. And then like a lullaby for him in his crypt. And then he's 15 years old now, so not as often anymore. But we would, we would sing these songs, this song over him. And then we found out we were pregnant again. Um, and we found out that it was going to be this precious little girl. And we thought, well, we don't want her to get a complex. We better write a song for her too. So uh, we grabbed hold of a prayer and I looked in the letter to the Ephesians. And this prayer I just read to you was the inspiration for her song, for the prayer that I would pray over her again and again, and sing over her. To this day, we sing that song over Anna Ren, And it's a way of reminding her of who she is, of her identity, and that the same spirit that inspired Paul to pray this for the Ephesians is working in us to pray this for her. Uh, I asked her for permission to share it with you, and she said yes, yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. I want you just to just listen to this song, and imagine, just a father with a little more hair, leaning over his baby's crib and singing this song. This is the way it sounds. I'll keep on asking that the Lord our God, our Father, will give you wisdom with his spirit a revelation that you might know him more, that you might see your way. I pray he'll bless you with a heart to seek his face. I pray your heart may know the hope to which he calls you and all the riches of such a glorious communion that you might join the saints filled with power for your way. I pray he'll open up your eyes to see his grace. I pray he'll bless you with a heart to seek his face. Hope. Oh, now that, I give that to a God who could bring that out of just a, a, a dumb young dad who was like, I don't know what to do. But the spirit impressed upon me in those moments. What you do is you pray. And what you do is you hope with all you have that her life is as glorious as I want it to be. So I began to pray that and still sing that. I get to sing over her more often than I sing over Reese and all the girls for that matter. And I love doing that with them. Just like I know Paul loved to share his hope with the Ephesians, though he was sitting in a prison cell, to write that letter and send it to them. You know, As far as we know, Paul was never pregnant. (laughs) Most scholars agree with me on that. I found trouble, I had had trouble finding a lot of the scholars who cared to weigh in on it, But, but I think we can say with relative certainty, Paul was never pregnant, but he kinda wrote like a pregnant person. I wanna prove it to you. This is from Galatians chapter four, verse 19. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Does that sound like any pregnant woman you've ever met? Martha tried to speak to the, the baby in her womb many times. Quit it. Get off of that nerve, right? Like, and you hear this in Paul. Paul didn't just travel around as a missionary, you know, kind of hoping people would see Jesus. No, he... He was inspired by the Spirit to care so deeply and to hope so passionately that it became like a father-daughter relationship for him, like a father-son relationship. He writes that way to Timothy. Timothy, my true son in the faith. And what always followed were words of hope because the Spirit within Paul prompted him to always hope. You know, hope is, a, is an interesting thing in the Bible. I, I looked for um, just some help kind of understanding biblical hope. I, I did a quick search just with Bible Gateway. How, how many occurrences of hope are there in the Bible? Do you want to guess? There are 180. And isn't that interesting what 180 means for us today? A complete turnaround. And what's possible when hope is present but as I started to dig and look a little bit at what hope meant, I found these. I can't even remember them all. It's so cool. I want to share these with you. Um, of the 180 occurrences of hope in the Bible, 97 are found in the Older Testament and 83 in the Newer Testament. 83. Now, if you've ever looked at your Bible and realized how much of it is older and how much is newer, I mean, it doesn't bother the Older Testament to be called old. It's Okay. It's, it's it's fine with that. But when you look at it like this, you see how much is old here and how much is new here. And it's astounding that just about the same number of mentions of hope are found in each. And when you think about who writes about hope in the New Testament, this is even more amazing. About 80% of the time, it's this guy, Paul. He can't stop talking about hope. You know, He's not alone in that. Peter also writes like a pregnant woman. I want you, I want you to hear this. This is pretty cool. From 1 Peter chapter 1, verses, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Paul and Peter are obsessed with this living hope that they have to share it. Even when their life's in danger, they keep talking about it. They keep offering it to people. You got to hear about this. Let me tell you about this hope that we have. Let me call you to this life filled with hope. Hope, hope, hope. Um, I, I think this is interesting too. As Paul writes to the Corinthians, he celebrates a firm hope that can make us bold, even in the face of death. He points The Galatians, to Jesus as the hope of righteousness. To the Colossians, Paul preaches Christ in us, the hope of glory. Paul encourages the Thessalonians with the promise that hope inspires endurance. To Timothy, Paul's true son in the faith, he reminds him that this hope is for everyone, the wealthy and the widow. In his letter to Titus, Christ's return is the blessed hope Guaranteed by God the Father. And in his letter to the Romans, he finishes with this exclamation point, our God is the God of hope. And then here in Ephesians, twice, Paul points to hope as the calling on our lives to follow Jesus. We are called to hope. And that's what's cool to me. It's obvious, our God has lived a life of hope and constantly hoping for his people How else can you explain how he doesn't give up on us or on his people? But again and again, he has this living hope that even brings us to life. But that's not enough for him. His desire is that his hope for us comes to fill us with a hope we can have for others as well. And the hope never stops. In fact, as he finishes in Romans, his desire is that the God of hope would fill us with so much joy and peace that we would then overflow with hope. We're called to live a life of hope. You know, that's not a coincidence that Peter and Paul are both writing about this hope. In fact, if you notice, when I I read Paul's prayer and Peter's prayer to you here, there was something similar about them. I want you to listen again as I read these and see if you can find it, um, what they have in common. First from Ephesians chapter one. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering in you in my prayers. Listen here. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now listen to Peter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. Did you hear it? Three things both Paul and Peter can't help praying about. Hope, inheritance, and power. Hope, inheritance, and power. Now, did Paul and Peter get together and be like, hey, writing this letter, you writing a letter too. Hey, let's, let's both start it off the same way. Talk about uh, maybe hope, some inheritance, throw in power there at the end. That'll be great. Yeah, let's do that. And then they went off to write their own. This didn't happen that way. You know the only way you can explain this? The same spirit that brought Jesus to tears looking over the city of Jerusalem also inspired Peter and Paul to write to the people of God about hope, inheritance, and power because we all need this good news, this promise. You know, uh, I guess it would have been almost 13 years ago, on February the 12th, we were on Anna Wren Eve, we call it. She was, all, she was just about to be born. And we, uh, we weren't sure uh, exactly what to do. We'd done this once before with Reese, so we, we knew a little bit of what was gonna happen, but my parents had come to town. Martha's parents were coming to town. This was the, the first darling baby girl, and so there was a lot of excitement about that. You know, girls are special. So we were we were all getting excited, and we still had this song and this prayer that we were praying and that we were singing over her. We didn't know what to do that night, so we went and we got some barbecue. We went to Dreamland Barbecue. Like if you've ever been to Alabama, you gotta know Dreamland Barbecue's place to go. For for a long time, all Dreamland offered was ribs and some bread. That's it. You look at the menu, they'd be like, "We got ribs and we got bread," and that was all. But that's all they needed because these. These, these ribs are good. Their, their slogan, ain't nothing like them nowhere. And that's a fairly accurate statement, I think. <laughs> They're so good. So we went to dreamland on this, this night before Anna Rem was born, and we had a dream that she would be everything that we'd been praying for her to be. And then the next morning, we got up, and we went in to have this, uh, this baby thing done, and we scheduled it, you know, we were ready to go. And sweet little Anna Rin was born and she was beautiful. She was precious, and we sang this song over her as she's brand new and just began to pray over her. We were so excited. Martha's sister came, and Martha's sister's a nurse, and so we're we're bringing the baby into the room after they clean her up. You got all that stuff on her, and got all that taken care of. They bring her back, and Martha's holding her, and Leslie, Martha's sister, just starts to notice there's something going on here. Like this isn't all right. She's making some funny noises that really bothered Martha's sister who's a labor and delivery nurse. She's like, I don't know about this. So she went and grabbed one of the other nurses and said, I want you to come listen. Tell me, it sounds like she's in distress. So she came back and they listened and sure enough, the the nurse was concerned too. So they said, well, let's take her and just have her checked out. So they took her and they ran her through some tests and said, yeah, she is in distress. Let's just hold her back here and, and keep an eye on her. And our grip on this dream that we had started to loosen up a little bit, started to, uh, I started to get a little worried. Like, you don't want to hear that. There's something wrong with your baby. And that started a slow but steady decline for Anna Ren, as she started to really struggle to breathe. First they gave her just a little bit of oxygen and then by the next day she was fully intubated in the NICU. Um, we were trying blood transfusions, everything you can imagine. They didn't know what was wrong with her, but they knew she was on her own. And so we kept trying everything. And meanwhile, as new parents, we're just beside ourselves, praying. We don't know what to do. And it just keeps getting harder and harder to hold on to hope and to keep praying this prayer and singing this song. But we kept doing it. It was just prophetically, like praying this over her. This is who she's going to be. We started praying this longer. We're going to keep praying this, so we pray it, and we would sing it, and we just kept getting bad news for bad news. She kept getting worse and worse and worse. And then one day, we both came to the point. We were like, "Look, we can't save her." And so we had this really honest conversation with God, and we said, "God, we trust you. We're still hoping that she can live." We. She's yours as much as she's ours. We, we give her back to you. And that was a really hard thing to pray. But we prayed it in hope, expecting God would do something. And the next day, she started to turn just a little bit, ever so slightly. And the next day, a little more. So for 15 days, Anna was in the NICU, getting worse, then slowly getting better. And we got to bring her home. And now you wouldn't know there was anything wrong with her. She talks more than any child we have. Yes. There is plenty of breath in Anna Ren Rogers. Yes. yes, and we give God glory for that. We're thankful. But we know that, we know how blessed we are to have gone home with our baby girl. But we learned an important lesson in the middle of that. That it's, it's not really the hope of God, if it's not expectant and resilient. And dreams sometimes turn into nightmares when we have to hold on to hope, like Paul did, riding from a prison cell to a people he wanted to see grow to full strength, to full maturity. This is my firm conviction today. The same spirit that prompted uh, Peter and Paul to speak of this living hope and this glorious inheritance you know, and this, this amazing, incomparably great power. The same spirit that prompted them to that and that prompted them to promise that to the first followers of Jesus, that same spirit is here today. We can live with the same hope, with the same inheritance, with the same power. But sometimes it's hard to hold on to that, right? It's hard to live with that conviction because sometimes, whether you go to Dreamland Barbecue or not, life can start to feel like like a nightmare. Maybe, Maybe you're here today And that's how life feels. Maybe you feel, you've been promised certain things and you thought, you know, life would be better than it is right now. Uh, That you'd have the, the relationship you want or the job you want or the house that you want. These things you've hoped for that are good things that you don't have. And you want to shake your fist at God and say, what's happening here? Why is it all wrong? Why is it all screwed up? I want to challenge you to live with hope, an expectant and a resilient hope. You know, maybe you're here today and maybe you're giving church another try because in your past somewhere, you were part of a church and you got burned. You got stomped on, you got pushed to the side, you got treated like anything but the blessed and chosen child of God that you are. And maybe the hard thing for you today is to walk in here and have any hope at all that life in Christ can be good, or that life in a church body like this can be good. I want to call you to the very same thing, an expectant and a resilient hope. You know, maybe you're here today and you're thinking about a a life you've lived and a past you have that uh, is not pretty, a struggle with sin or a relationship that has fallen apart, and all you see when you look at your life is, is things to be ashamed of. let me promise you, you are still blessed and chosen. And the same offer is available to you to live with an expectant and a resilient hope. And when Paul wrote to the Ephesians, you notice um, this wasn't just a letter to one of them, but to a collection of brothers and sisters who are striving to live their life in Christ. This message that I'm preaching now isn't just for one of you. It is for each and every one of you, but it's to be lived out together. You are blessed and chosen and God wants to fill you with a hope that overflows in the world around us. That's his dream for you. He longs to see that expectant and resilient hope in you.